Welcome to The Prosper Project, the show that helps entrepreneurs build brands that impact the world and the bottom line. We know that success doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all package. That's why we're bringing you adaptable marketing strategies along with valuable insights from inspiring changemakers, firebrands, and visionaries. I'm Lorraine Sugart, founder of the disruptive brand agency, Prosper for Purpose. Now for this week's episode. this week's episode of The Prosper Project, where my guest is Laura berman Portgang, And Laura is going to share with us today all kinds of great things about herself, including how she got started as the A-list coach, what she's been doing along her career trajectory, and what it means for her to prosper. So Laura's professional life is anchored by her international reputation as a pioneer and a 25-plus year veteran in the personal coaching field. One expression of her year supporting people to find meaning, purpose, and satisfaction in their lives, Laura is also a best-selling author, sought-after speaker, TV personality, including Oprah and all the national morning TV shows a corporate spokesperson, interfaith minister, and performer. Her TEDx talk currently boasts over 1.7 million views. Again, Laura has done a variety of things, including publishing five books, which are now in 13 languages. She has addressed public and corporate audiences in many parts of the world on topics such as reinvention, career satisfaction, and change as well as bringing coaching to diverse clients ranging from homemakers, celebrities, and Fortune 500 companies to NASA and the Army Corps of Engineers. Laura is best known for her unique career transition, Now What? methodology, and she is currently launching her legacy project, the A-List Coach Business Mentoring Program, to help experienced coaches grow their impact and income. Welcome, Laura. Thank you, Lorraine. It's so good to have you here today. And you and I have known each other for, I want to say, at least a year, right? Yeah, I think we're almost going on two, I think, a year oh and a half. Oh my gosh, we're having an anniversary up there. It's so <laughs> exciting. So you're someone that I will honestly say I admire so much. You've had a long and successful career as an entrepreneur, where as I'm less than 10 years in, and as we both know, it is not the easiest, smoothest pathway to create a work life. So tell the audience a little bit about how and when you decided to do your own thing and become an entrepreneur. You know, I probably didn't realize that I was really like probably 17 or 18 years old when I didn't know I was deciding to be an entrepreneur. But I grew up with a father who hated his job, hated his job. And it was so painful. And I remember begging him, Dad, I'll figure out a way to pay for college. I don't want to go till I know what I want to do. Please be happy. Please find something else to do. So 
that's when the seed was planted. And I went to school for communications at Boston University because my parents would not let me be an acting major, which was my dream. So after I graduated, I ran to New York City and I did 10 years in musical theater performing, you know, got my union status. I came close to Broadway, but not quite. And then started saying, you know, I still waitress half the year. I don't know if I want this lifestyle. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. But I had an intuitive inkling to call an old acting mentor that bugged me and bugged me until I called him. And he had become a coach and he thought he could help me figure out what else to do with my life. And I hired him, started out, you know, it never crossed my mind to get a real job, it, you know, quote unquote. <laughs> and, you know, but by now I'd put like a decade out of school. I had no work experience. Oh I'd been goodness. an actor. So I was working with this coach and I started doing presentation skill training in corporations because as an actor, you know, that was an easy uh, argument. But within two years, I looked at him and I said, you know, I want to do what you do. And I happened to be the 16th student at the first school in the U.S. who taught coaching. I was one of the founders of the International Coaching Federation, which is the largest body that exists to credential coaches around the world in credential university programs accreditation. So I got in like right place, right time. My life was a rags to riches story of walking into an unproven profession with complete commitment, knowing how it had changed my life. And the rest is my bio. I love that. And of course, I've heard that from you, but I just love your delivery of that story is very powerful. And of course, you can tell that you have these really powerful presentation skills from even initial conversation. And can you talk a little bit about how your background in acting kind of gave you that confidence to, I don't know, I'm making this up, but to embrace like the knowledgeable teacher and coach, maybe even at times when you weren't feeling like that person? Yes. You know, a lot of people think acting is pretending and there is the saying, you know, act as if or fake it till you make it. There might have been a little bit of that, but I like to define acting as becoming, not pretending, becoming. I love it. I love so, it. I mean, I made a commitment to be really good at what I did. You know, I studied, I learned, I had mentors. I always had my own coach. I wasn't one of those people that said, you know, I give advice, so everyone's going to pay me to be the coach. Absolutely not. That's part of why I was part of developing the first professional organization, because anyone could say they're a coach, right? So for me, it was the acting skills came more in on the presentation part. Like I ended up being on TV, being in magazines, doing these things that I could only dream of as an actor. I thought I had failed. I was so bereft at the loss of my dream. And yet on the other side of it, when I least expected it, showing up 100% and being committed to it 100% made all these opportunities come to me. Like, you know, you're in a publicist, you know, it's a publicist dream to have all those things happen that I have on my bio, but I didn't have those. And the only time I had a publicist was with my first book. People think that you have to like pay for visibility first and that, you know, I don't know, you'll have your own opinion about it. But for me, <laughs> but for me, it was, oh, you also have to remember, I predate the internet, everybody. So that ages me a little bit, but I didn't have to worry about social media in those days. There were 13 news outlets, right? And right. there were lots of print outlets for you to be seen. And, you know, as it is with publicity, 
publicity begets publicity. You know, someone sees you in something, they're like, oh, let's talk to them. So, I mean, a lot of it was preparation meeting opportunity, you know, the definition of luck. Yes, I love that. So the communication skills, I definitely credit to my acting. I credit the ability to stand in front of a crowd and answer questions and not be afraid of what's going to come at you to the years of improv, you know, to the years of when you rehearse as an actor, no matter how much you rehearse, the beauty of live theater is that something can always go wrong, right? You don't get to do another take. You don't get it on the editing floor. And for actors, sometimes one of the funnest moments is when everything goes wrong and you have to hold it together. So that, I think, was incredibly useful to me in being in a new profession that no one had ever heard of, you know, speaking about it from my conviction and being ready for whatever went wrong or whatever heckler was in the crowd or whatever naysayer wanted to interview me, you know, just dancing with that. I know if you put a client out on book tour you're probably having them work with a media coach. And I would always tell them, don't bother. You don't need to spend the money on me on a media coach. (laughs) I'm good. No, you're good. Yeah. It's not easy for people to be spontaneous and yet be prepared. Right, right. That's so true. And when I do media training, it's often the whole day with someone to get them where they need to be, depending on where they're starting from, right? Yes. So, yeah, so you had a lot of gifts and a lot of experiences that kind of rolled over well into what you're doing. And you've done so, so very much. Talk to me a little bit on your website, how you're leading is reinvent with intent. So who is that message for and how do you help people reinvent with intent? Yeah, I mean... After 9-11, my phone started incoming calls off the hook within four days. And I found myself working with people in a 90-day period because that's all I could predict, waiting for travel to come back after 9-11. I didn't know what my schedule was going to be, so I can give you 90 days. And I was helping people who were saying, I've got to do something else with my life. I have to do something more meaningful. I need to take the back burner and put it on the front burner. So reinvent with intent is, you know, we don't reinvent just for the sake of reinventing. When you are feeling the need to reinvent, it should be about peeling back the layers and getting to the next truer version of yourself. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, like if you take Madonna, for example, someone who's reinvented many, many times and you feel like, oh, she's just looking for the next thing that's going to be sticky, you know, whether it's the pointy boobs or it's the (laughs) henna on her hands. Right. But I like to think of it as, well, maybe not. Maybe that's her discovery and her evolution of each layer of herself. So the bulk of my work has been career-driven, helping people figure out what else to do with their life, whether they're an executive about to retire, an executive who wants to get out and figure out their business, a homemaker who's getting back into the workforce. And in recent years, in the last couple of years, the same methodology that I use to help people figure that out is what I've been bringing to coaches and consultants to help them get to that next layer of their evolution where they can mine their own methodology. Like so many people don't know how they do what they do. And so they walk into the entrepreneurial space or they've been in the entrepreneurial space as an also ran. Like I also do this and I also do that. So I don't even call it niching. It's more like looking at your body of work and saying, what are the results that I create consistently for people? And how do I message that in such a way that it becomes your TED Talk, your book, your program, your course, you know, your thing that you're known for and that's why I call it the A-list. You know, yeah, it's it's going off of the celebrity A-list thing a little bit, but 
It's not about becoming a celebrity. The thing about A-listers is they don't have to audition anymore. And that's what I want for consultants and coaches, that you don't have, you know, those long, maybe three phone calls about if someone should hire you, right? They've looked you up by name because they know working with Lorraine, my business is going to take off and they've heard about Lorraine. And so that's what I help other coaches and consultants do is figure out what is that thing that's going to have people ask for you by name and how do we package that? I love it. And you also have on your website as like a sound bite, turn chaos into clarity for change that will stick. So that's along those same lines, like really getting to the core truth and the core thing that makes you unique and being able to share that in a way so that people say, well, if I want to go about it this way, Laura is the only person that I should consider working with. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, when your phone rings because you know, I know you help this person take their business to the next level because of what you did with them with their methodology, then you know that your A-list reputation is working for you. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about writing five books. I find that so interesting. Most people, myself included, I mean, I've had a gestation of my book for like a year and a half at this point, and I'm a writer, but it's maybe in part because I'm a writer, I'm just to thinking too much and trying to get it to write. Or maybe I'm not clear on what enough on what I'm trying to do, but you have written five books. So how do your book ideas come about? And I guess, tell me a little bit about, does each book build on the one that preceded it? Or what is that thought process for you? I'm so curious about that. Cool. That's a great question. Thanks for asking. Look, book writing did not come naturally to me. I was one of those people that hated to read, <laughs> hated to write. And I forced my way into honors English because regular English was too boring, but I didn't belong there. You know, like I wasn't as prolific. However, when I got the opportunity to write a book and oh gosh, it just should happen for all of us this way. I wrote it down in January of 1996. Oh, write my first book. I did nothing about it. I don't know how to write a book. I don't know what I wanted to write about. I don't know that you need an agent. I don't know anything. And by December 1996, I had three book offers. Please, I wish I could bottle that, friends. That's a story for later. But let me answer your question. So each book, the first one was forced out of me. Like the person who bought the book was like, he was a business and sports editor. And he liked that I sort of had a little bit of a tough edge for someone who was in their okay. 20s. And so he brought out like, I would call my first book, Take Yourself to the Top, my male book. I had a male editor and he's like, hey, coach, what would you tell me, coach? Hey, coach. But, you know, and my other books were more me, right? So book two yeah. was an evolution of that book. Three was an evolution of working with people after 9-11 to figure out what they want to do. Yeah. Book four was about me finding more meaning in my life, like my clients. And that was the little book on meaning. I went to Interface Seminary to do that in 2006. And then the last one was a request for my publisher. So... The book ideas, there's no perfect book idea, let me tell you, because all publishers care about is if you can sell a book. And that's the sad part, right? So, but you do have to write something that interests you, not just something based on what's going to sell. And like I said, I wasn't a natural writer. My first book was like nine months, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't mean I actually put anything on the paper. I just would sit there tortured for that long. <laughs> You know, I had no kids yet. I told my husband to get a hobby. He's been playing golf ever since. And I was 24-7 would sit here and torture myself. Oh, my God. Then at second book. Okay, first of all, 
I had to add this. So I signed a contract for my first book. Three weeks later, I found out I'm pregnant. So I literally had nine months to write this book. Second book, get a book contract, find out three weeks later, I'm pregnant with twins. Oh my God. Wrote that book in nine months, but I didn't write it 24 hours, seven days a week. First of all, I'd written a book. And second of all, I didn't have the kind of time. Yeah. Then third book, my husband was like, I'm getting a vasectomy which he did. So there were no babies attached to the third book. And that book I wrote from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. every morning. That's all the time I had because I had three children under four years old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So all that to say the writing gets easier as you go. But Lorraine, I know as someone like yourself who is a writer, why can't you sit down and write? I want everyone to know that even people like, because I've heard her say it, Elizabeth Gilbert, right? Mm-hmm. There's a quote by Dorothy Parker, who was a writer in the 1950s. And yeah. she said, I don't love writing. I love having written. Okay. This is a big truth for authors. Writing is hard. Putting your butt in the seat and staying there is hard. And there are people who, yes, they do it, but I don't know of any writer yet who's told me they love the process. They love it because eventually it all happens, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Right. And so I just kind of want to put that out there because, you know, I'm the kind of writer, like I write five words and I got to go get a snack. <laughs> you know, it just, I develop ADD. Anytime I commit to sit down and write, I suddenly have something else I need to do. That's what I do. So I think that's so interesting. We can talk offline about that, but I just, you know, well, I can't write. Well, my desk is a little bit messy. I'm oh, right. Oh, boy, do I know that one. But let me just say for anyone else who wants to write it for you, in the end, what helped me the most was I finally, like, I actually hired a book coach who was a friend of mine. And it wasn't that it was so much about, you know, having her approve of the writing or not approve of the writing. It was the accountability. And she also gave me a number. She's like, write 500 words a day. That is not a lot. So I go, okay, I write 500 words. And I really end up writing 1,500 because 500 wasn't a lot. So that's what got me through many times. I lose that. Little games like that. So anyway, I hope that's helpful to everybody listening. Mm, that's, <laughs> that's really good. And I think the other thing too is the idea, because this is what's talked me off the ledge to get the first section of my book pretty darn close to complete, is that I look at writing a blog or I look at, you know, writing a talk, something that I'm going to share or outlining the podcast episodes that I do solo. And they don't feel daunting. Like it feels like a project, but I know there's going to be a beginning and end. A book feels daunting. And so sometimes breaking it down into, well, what are the sections of the book? And then what are the chapters in this first section? For me, it's just like I'm tricking my own brain, but it does help. So I think finding what works for you with your psyche is also something. It is. And also what's hard is you want to tell everybody everything and you don't realize you might really have three books in you. You know, you can't put it all in one. So I think one of the hardest things is to find how are you going to tell the story? Even if it's a nonfiction book or a self-help book or a business book, it's a story. What's the story? Like my first book was the 10 most common career dilemmas and how to solve them. The second book was 12 steps to something, right? The third book was 90 days to something. So you need to like that. How are you telling this story? Are you telling it instructionally? Are you telling it in an arc of transformation? Like, Mm -hmm. so that's part of what I help people do with the A-list too, is like, how do you get that methodology out of you? 
And so knowing how to tell the story, and I remember when my first book, I just put down every idea and concept, every idea and concept that I want. And the world needs to know this. Oh my God, I need everyone to know this. And then I looked at it and went, okay, what fits in what boxes? Oh, this all seems to be about that. And that all seems to be about that. And so that's how I came up with the 10 most common career dilemmas. So I think that's the hardest part is how are you going to organize your material? It's not that you don't have the material in you. You do. It's the organization of what story am I telling? And do I want to replace myself? You know what I mean? Like with 90 days to new life direction, let's say you can't afford me for $15.95, I'll replace myself, do the book, right? So you really have to have that, who are you talking to and what's that conceptual journey you're taking them on? So do you do that? And I'm not clear on, do you help people develop their own TED Talks? And is this a similar process to that, do you think, writing a book and preparing a TED Talk? They're similar, very different time constraints, right? Your book is going to be longer than your TED Talk. Hopefully. And I don't necessarily, <laughs> I don't necessarily you know, call myself a book coach or a TED Talk coach, but I help you figure out the message. I help you figure out what's your methodology? Like, what's the thing that you do that no one else can do because it's you? And how do you make that into something that will inspire people, touch them in some way, increase your impact and focus where your income is coming from? Yeah. So like, right. So I have, you know, people in my A-list group right now, you know, one is an ADD expert. One is a career expert as well. One works with emerging leaders. One works with a lot of assessments, right? So these are things that other people also do, but what's your unique imprint on that? And that's the things that we've worked on with them to have come out and influence what their products will be. That's great. So let me ask you this before I get to all the different ways people can work with you. What have you found to be things that have given you pause throughout your career? And you said you wrote a book about this. And what is that next layer? So this, it's not that anything that we've done has been wrong, but it may not be the right thing for that next phase. So can you talk about a time where you had to kind of practice on yourself, right? Like, okay, So what's the next layer of Laura and how do I figure out what that is? Oh my gosh. I mean, I am a constant reinvention. I mean, anyone who's, if you look at my, my colleagues have known me for a long time, every three years they're like, oh my God, what is she doing now? So (laughs) I, (laughs) but I did. I love that because that's the same trajectory that I've pretty much been on every three years. Like what's next? Right. What's next? You know, and I haven't left this profession. It's just that I keep iterating how I do it or how I deliver it or what interests me. And look, I mean, I've been, I think, you know, how many people in business in the last 25 years? I mean, we've been through more recessions and market crashes. I mean, just the weirdest things for the longest time. So you're constantly having to reinvent. But for me, it is always getting truer and truer to yourself. It also includes, like when I wrote the little book on meaning, I mean, when I came to being an author and being a coach, I didn't know it was going to be a career coach thing. I always thought I was going to be like Marianne Williamson. Do you know Marianne Williamson? I wanted to talk about spiritual fair. She was someone I admired. I grew up on her lectures in New York City. She changed my life and I've gotten to meet her. So it's a beautiful thing. And so I thought I was going to be that kind of a teacher. And I ended up, you know, falling into, but 
organically the career space. And I like work. I've always been someone who I'm more focused on work than play in my life. And my husband's the play person. <laughs> you know, he teaches me how to play. So it has all stayed within this iteration, but it's evolved. It's like, you know, Little Book on Meaning was a more spiritual book. Living Your Best Life was about your life. Now it's about your career. So I'm still me, but the thing that I've gotten to in my through line is I'm energy that causes change. Like I have run for office. I have had leadership roles in my community. I didn't like the way the band was being managed at my kid's school. So who became president of the band boosters? You know what I mean? Like I just show up and can't sit with the status quo. So that's what informs me a lot. There was a period where I missed my acting because my daughter was starting to follow me in the musical theater steps. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be pushy about her career. Maybe if there's something unfulfilled in me, let me make sure I'm done with this. So I actually created a character called Laugh Coach Lorleen. And Laugh Coach Lorleen did a one-woman show. It was like a self-help comedy show. And the best compliment I got was someone came up to me and said, I would never go to a self-help thing in my life. And your show actually helped me, actually changed something in me. So I went through a three-year period where I, my publisher thought I was nuts until he saw it and he loved it. But dressed in costume, doing a one-woman show, I traveled on the road with it for a little time. And then I was like, the first time I was in front of an audience that was not my friend's, I realized, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like I'm back to being on the road, working nights and weekends, all the reasons I left acting. So Lorleen went on the shelf, but I'm glad I did her. Good. That's great. So, you know, I don't know if people think that's inconsistent or consistent, but I constantly am looking for how to keep things fresh, stay relevant. What's the next iteration? You know, what's going on with me is usually what's going on with the people that I help. Right. Business. So, you know, just staying in tune and in touch with that. I love that. And I also think that when you're experimenting yourself, it enables you to be more open to possibilities for other people because you're open and exploring possibilities for yourself. So that really resonates with me. But I do want to pivot now. This is really like a key part of our conversation because you offer so many different ways that people can work with you. So we know about the book. So if you want an introduction to Laura, you can purchase one of her books. I believe you can purchase them off your website. Is that correct? They all link to Amazon, but they're on my website. Yeah, Amazon's the best way to do it. All right, that sounds good. And if you don't like to give money to Amazon, you can give it to Barnes & Noble. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I love that. But what are the different ways that people can work with you? Sure. I mean, I still do one-on-one, you know, no matter what people say about groups and all that. My entire career, even when I was on the road speaking a lot, I felt like, how can I build a reputation as a coach if I don't coach anybody? So I always have one-on-one clients, but I have a group program for coaches and consultants, the alistcoach.com. And my career seekers, you want to seek me out at nowwhatcoaching.com. And we have a group program there too. And we have online programs. So there's, and I always look at it at how can I reach you at whatever price point you're at? And that informs the offerings that I do. Looking for an entry point for you to have access. Yeah. And we will have all those links in our show notes. So if you're listening, go to our show notes and you'll have links to those different ways to work with Laura. 
You can also bring Laura in as a speaker. So as you heard, Laura has a lot of different experience speaking to audiences. I should probably vouch or confirm with you that that's still an option that oh my gosh of course i i mean corporations bring me in to help bring coaching skills as a management style entrepreneurs bring me in to light a fire under their teams or with themselves and also companies who are looking for people to get career satisfaction where they are i help them mine for that and also we have a couple of freebies in the show notes too for you to download so if you're Looking for the six steps to become a sensational brand from a solo practitioner. That's the A-list. We have that there and also a quick step guide for those seeking clarity. So we just, we're chock full. Yeah. We'll have those for you there. Yeah. And I think your main website is your name, Laura Berman Fortgang.com. Is that correct? Yes. You can find me there for all of the above. It'll lead you to the other websites. That's what I thought. Okay. And that will be in the show notes as well. So Laura, is there any question that I should have asked you and did not? No, I'm waiting for the big question you ask all your guests. (laughs) Okay. All right. So this is the Prosper Project. And so we love to elevate entrepreneurs to talk about their journeys and what it means for them to be successful, what we call to prosper. So tell our listeners what that looks like for you. To prosper is to love what you do. You know, there's hard days, but something that's soul enhancing and not soul crushing. To have more than enough time to enjoy your life and be with the people you care about and to have more than enough money that you can donate to causes, improve your own life and help those you need to help and want to help. I love that. Laura Berman, Fort Gang, thank you so much for being my guest today on the Prosper Project. I hope all of you found so many good things to take away from this conversation today. I know I did, and I hope Laura will join us again when her next book or TED Talk comes out or her new next program is launched. Until then, everyone take good care, and I'll see you on next week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Prosper Project. If you want to grow a peerless, profitable brand, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you find value in our show, please help us reach others by sharing an episode and leaving a review. In appreciation, please visit prosperforpurpose.com for more free resources to help you grow your business.